If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of, yes, Genesis. We're still here. We're still, and we're going to be here for a while longer yet. So someone once told me that when a pastor looks at his watch, do you know what that means? Absolutely nothing at all. Nothing at all. Um, so today we're in for a little bit of a treat. Um, it's the same way with, with series, by the way. When a pastor says that we're going to be here and he doesn't know how long, it really means he doesn't know how long. Uh, so don't ask. Um, so we're, we're here. We're in week number... We're, hey now. We're in week number three. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter four. I'm excited about about today. Uh, we're going to be looking at something a little bit differently than normal, uh, and, and we're in this series, Lessons from the Book of Genesis. We, we looked at God in the very beginning, what we learned about God in chapter one. We looked at Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind, and so today uh, we're going to look at Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Now, before we get there, um, my wife and I, when we first got married, um, we got married, and then about 13 hours after our wedding, uh, we moved from Florida uh, here to Michigan. And so our honeymoon was, was traveling in a car with my dad and uh, one of my siblings and pulling a trailer behind us, and we had a dog that whined for the first four hours of the trip until the sedative kicked in. It was awful. Um, but when, when we get here, uh, we didn't bring um, a vehicle with us, and so we had to purchase a vehicle. And um, for me, I, at that point, we had no kids, and I was like, I, um, I, I, I will drive a certain kind of vehicle, and then there are vehicles that I will never, ever get in. I will never drive like a, a bug. Like the new VW Bugs, I would never drive one of those. Um, if it was an older one, like a 1965, I would drive it. But uh, I told my wife the moment that we got married, I will never, ever drive a minivan. I will never drive a minivan. We drive a minivan, by the way. Um, and so I, I got a pickup truck. I got a pickup truck, and I, I was like big balling at five, five miles to the gallon. Um, in this, this gas hog. And, and we, we stayed here for a few years. We had two children, Israel and Esther. And then uh, God moved us to Florida. And when we left for Florida, we decided to sell our vehicles, not take them with us. And we would get something down there just because of salt and rust. And we didn't want to bring it with us. And so we get down there. And the very first vehicle that we get while we're down there is none other than a minivan. None other than, a, and not just any minivan, it was a 1994 Dodge Caravan right there. It was awful. It was so bad. Now, I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure why we got this vehicle. I never, ever planned on buying a minivan, and I'm not sure if anybody ever really does. But I sat here and I thought to myself, nobody saves up their money to buy a 1994 Dodge Caravan, especially not one that was white, not one that had ripped leather interior on the inside of it. Now, it, it just kind of happens that you're driving this car and you, you found out why you never planned on buying one, right? You're in this car and you're like, this only has a cassette player. We don't even use cassettes anymore. There's not even an, an aux jack so I can plug my phone into it and play. Like there's nothing in this car. There, it's got the windows that you have to manually crank 
down. I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? Now, we, we began to have a lot of problems with this car. And something, it seemed like, was always going wrong. Something was, anyone ever have that problem with an older car? Like, something is always wrong with it. Now, one day, I started the van and I was on my way to the office, and the check engine light began to flash at me. And I was like, I didn't know what was wrong. I, I, I got out of the car. Um, I, I pulled the little lever to open the hood. Um, and then you had to go out, and you had to, like, pull the hood up so then you could push the little button to then actually release the hood. And I get it open, and it was not easy at all. And I, I'm like one of those people that knows the bare minimum about cars. And I opened up the hood, and I was like, no, everything looks okay, and I closed the hood. And I just, I went about my day. I got in the car, and I began uh, to drive away, and I'm like, um, there was no, thinking to myself, there was no, like, big on-off switch underneath that hood. Like, I could just reset everything, and the check engine light would just go away. Now, uh, I get in the car, and I I go to drive um, to the stop sign by our house, and I turn, and that check engine light is still flashing, and it's bright, and it's yellow, and it's just on the dashboard of this car. And so I'm like, man, that, that light is beginning to become somewhat annoying. Now, I didn't have time to go to the body shop and say, can someone look at this? Can you tell me why this check engine light is on? And so I went to the office. And I came home and I went to the office the next day. And I came home and I went to the office the next day. And I just continued on. And and I got to the point where people would get in the car and they'd be like, hey, Josh, you know your check engine light's on? And I'm like, yes, I know my check engine light is on. To the point where my wife gets in the car one morning and we're on our way to church. And she goes, hon, that check engine light is still on. And I said, I know, I know, I will get it taken care of this week. I didn't get it taken care of that week. We go to church, we come home, the week goes on, and I knew Bree was going to get back in the car. I knew that she was going to get in the car with me, and I had completely forgotten that I had told her. But I thought to myself on Saturday night, something has to be done. Something has got to get fixed with this blinking light. And so here's exactly what I did. I went into our garage And I pulled out one of the containers that was sitting on the shelf, and I pulled out a piece of black electrical tape. (laughs) And I went out to our car, and it's dark out, and I started the car up, and I placed that piece of tape just over that blinking light so you could not see it. We get in the car on Sunday morning, and Bree doesn't even notice it. It's not even there. Out of sight, out of mind. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I got the one up. Until we're on our way home from church, and I'm pressing the gas, and the vehicle is not going anywhere. And it's just like, and we're sitting in place. To which I then had to tell my wife, I just put that little piece of tape However, the check engine light was, was still on. Come to find out, there was something called the transmission in a car. Now, I, I knew what a transmission was, but I didn't realize, you know, that the check engine light was going to make sure that my transmission was still going to run my vehicle. Now, there was a problem. 
The, the manufacturer of this car designed it in such a way that the engine, when it, it, it knew that it was going to have a problem or when it was going to be a problem, that that check engine light would begin to flash. It, it was a warning sign to tell me that something was about to happen, something that I needed to get checked out, something was wrong. The check engine light was a call to action. It was, it was a call for me to not ignore it. it. It was a call for me to not cover it up with tape. It was a call for me to not pretend like everything was okay. I've learned since then, that was many years ago, that it is not to my advantage to ignore the blinking lights on my dashboard. Anybody else ever find themselves in that place? When that light comes on, it means that you need to do something about it. And if you do something about it now, it can save you a small fortune later on. Now in our lives, in our lives, God has what I'm going to call an early warning system. An early warning system. Now, he has these blinking lights that, that are there, and they begin to show up on the dashboard of our lives to get our attention as believers and non-believers, to help us realize that there are areas of our life that we need to change. Something needs to be different, and when those lights come on, God is sending us a warning signal. God is, is telling us that there's an invitation in this very moment to take action, to get help, to spiritually wake up, to change. Yet, how often do, do those of us truly go and get that electrical tape and we just cover up that warning sign from God? We just cover it up. Maybe right now in your life there's been some early warning signs. Maybe right now there's a blinking light in your life that's flashing. Maybe right now there's an area of your life that God has been trying to get your attention. Now as we talk about some of these warning signs that God gives in scripture, there are a couple of distinctions that I feel like I need to make before we even get there. Now the first thing is, is there is a, there is a difference between a command of God and a warning of God. There's a difference between those things. Now, take it like this. The commands in Scripture, let's take the Ten Commandments because it's the easiest. The Ten Commandments are clearly established rules that were set out, laws that were given by God to determine how we should live. But warnings, warnings come to us at a time when we're close to breaking one of the commands of God. They, they come before. Now, as a, as a parent, how many of you have, have children um, that are not adult children? Like, so younger, younger than, than 19. Okay. Now, um, as a parent, I understand the difference between a command and a warning. I understand that. Now, in our home, there is a command that you do not lose self-control. That is a command that is given. We gave it to our children. It's a command that my wife and I have clearly established. But there are times when our, we'll have to give our kids a warning because we see them getting closer and closer to losing self-control. Now, um, we have a child or two that struggles 
with self-control. Um, they're young, and at times, uh, we have to give these warning signs to them. Now, one of the things that you may see us do uh, in our home when our kids are getting closer and closer, um, we, we have the tendency to put our hands up like, you better simmer it down. Like, you're getting close to the edge, right? How about you knock that down about a thousand notches, all right? And, or, or we will verbally say something to our kids like, you better choose wisely the next words that are going to come out of your mouth. We have to have these conversations, warnings that we're giving to our children so that they will lower the intensity of where they are at. Like, bring it down, sister, all right? Uh, our, uh, one of our middle children uh, is our button pusher. Uh, she, she is not, uh, like, from the time she wakes up at 6 a.m. until the time that they go to bed at 8 a.m., she's the energizer brother, and she doesn't stop. She runs everywhere. You know, we'll tell her, and then when she co- she'll come sprinting up, and she will yell at you at the top of the lungs, and you're a minute, you're like, you're five seconds away, like, and she's screeching at you. And we'll, we'll say these things, and we'll give these warnings to our kids we, we do this when we see that they're getting closer and closer to making a decision or, or going down a path that's going to lead to a bad consequence. We want to give them a warning. We want to we let them know, hey, you, you, better, you better think. You better stop for just a moment. We want to instill in our children that this is the very thing that God does for us as believers. God gives us warnings and his warnings, I have found, are very personal. His warnings to us are, are individual, and they're also timely. God's warnings always come at a specific time. They're just the right time when we really need a word from him. And the second distinction that I want us to make is that when we're given these warnings from God, we're not giving Uh, We're not given warnings from an angry judge, but from a loving father. These warnings come to us from a loving father. God gives us warnings in our lives because he wants what's best for us. He can see that the path that you're heading is not a good one. And so these warnings that we're going to be talking about, these are not the bad news of Scripture. This is the good news that God warns us because he cares for us. Now, there's an example, uh, I think probably one of the perfect examples to give before we dive in here to Genesis 4, is in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I believe it's verse 15, and it's going to hit the screen for you. And it says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them. Now, I want to stop us just for a moment there. When it said that God was rising up early, it did not mean that he set his alarm clock to get out of bed. Okay, it it meant that he sent messengers and he sent warnings to his people before there was a real problem that ensued. He was acting early. But that verse goes on to say, that verse goes on to say that it is because he had compassion for his people. He loved them and so he sent an early warning to them. So it's God's love for us that he warns us in our problems, that that he activates a warning system and he gives or sends to us blinking lights. The thing is, is that we have to pay attention to them. We have to look at the dashboard of our life and we have to see that there are areas that need attention. And I have found all too well that when we pay attention, it saves us all kinds of heartache 
down the road. So as, as I studied the idea of, of warnings in Scripture, I came to what I'm going to call the very first warning in the book of Genesis chapter 4, the first warning in this chapter we see. It's an individual warning. It's a timely warning. It's a specific blinking light here for Cain. Now, I want to just read, um, but before we do, this biblical account is probably one that you're familiar with if you spent any amount of time uh, in church. Now, there's a verse, though, in this account that I have never noticed before, and maybe it's not caught your attention either. Maybe it's not caught your attention. So I want to just start in verse number one. It says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. And in the course of of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now I want us to just stop right here for just a moment. Abel brought an offering of blood, the firstborn of his flock of the fat portions, and Cain brought an offering of vegetation, the fruit of the ground. Now I want to stop us right here because this is a misconception about this passage. Many assume that this was the difference between their offerings because they were different types of offerings. But grain offerings were perfectly acceptable to God. And we see this in Leviticus chapter 2. Though grain offerings could not be an atonement for sin. But the word offering here comes from the Hebrew word minka, which is used in its broadest sense. And it covers any gift that was given by man to God. So neither of these two sacrifices was made specifically on the account of sin. Nothing in this account points to that at all. But we do know from the New Testament... The writer of Hebrews clearly explained to us why Abel's offering was was accepted by God and why the offering of Cain was rejected. The writer of Hebrews tells us in uh, Hebrews 11.4 that by faith uh, Abel offered up a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now Cain's offering was the efforts of a dead religion while Abel offered something in in faith to God. It, It was a desire to worship God in spirit and in truth. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. This shows us that Abel's offering was something extra special. The the fat portions of the animal were seen as a luxury in the the, uh, account of a sacrifice. God uh, wanted to receive the, the fat portion in a sacrifice. We see this from Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7, but we know that the fat portion of an animal was a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord according to Leviticus 17. The fat was a luxury. Now the offering, however, of Cain was probably no doubt more aesthetically pleasing to the eye. I mean, Abel did brought, uh, he brought something that was bloodied, something that would have been killed or, or cut up. But what we need to learn from Cain and Abel 
and I want you to please write this down, that true sacrifice must be about what God receives, not merely about what we want to give. It must be about what God receives, not merely about what we want to give. I want us to see what happens here now in verse number 5. And it says that but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. He was very angry and his face fell. Cain's anger was undoubtedly rooted in pride. He could not bear the fact that his brother was accepted before God and that he was not. And the epidemic of sin quickly became worse in the life of Cain. Cain now committed the relatively sophisticated sins of spiritual pride and hypocrisy in this very moment of time. And then here comes the warning in verse number 6. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But wait. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I love this very moment in time because God deals with Cain in the terms of confrontation, not automatic affirmation. He he confronted Cain, but he made it very clear that Cain would be accepted if he did well or if he did the right thing, as some versions might write in there. Now, of course, God knew the answers already to the questions that he asked Cain, but he wanted Cain to know to resist the pull towards violence and anger within him. He must do what is right. God is, is, is warning Cain about the destructive power of sinfulness. You know, Cain could resist the sin and he could find blessing or he could give in to the sin and be devoured. This is exactly what God is saying to, to Cain, to us. He said its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Church, we stop sin from ruling over us when we allow God to master us first. I want you to write that down. I want you to put it in your Bible. I want you to tattoo it on your heart and in your memories. We stop sin from ruling over us when we allow God to master us first. Do you know without God as our master, we will always be a slave to sin. Now I want you to think about something. A picture, so to speak. Cain is here getting ready to open up this door. His hand is moving towards the doorknob. And on the other side of that door is a decision that he's going to make that could completely devastate his life. God sees him going towards that door and he puts a heavy hand on it. And he says, hold up for just a moment. Cain, listen to me. Wait. Take a deep breath. You need to recognize something in this place. What's right behind that door that you're about to open, what's just a moment away for you, has the power to destroy you and destroy your life. God even said it seeks to have you. Cain, you need to be really careful with what you do next. And God steps away. And look what happens in verse number 8. 
says that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. And he killed him. God warned Cain that the path that he was on was going to lead to destruction, but Cain couldn't see it. He just took a piece of black electrical tape and he stuck it right over the warning so so he couldn't see. He covered the blinking light up. Man, he moved ahead and he did the very thing that he wanted to do and everything just comes crashing down around Cain. Now, I've become very familiar with this passage of Scripture. And I could point to example after example after example in my own life of moments where I didn't listen to the warnings. I didn't see the blinking lights. I just covered them up. In all of my years of ministry and all of the times that I have counseled people, I hear all too often of people who have been warned by God, people who have been given opportunity after opportunity to respond and to do the right thing and do things God's way, but yet they do not do them. And for whatever reason, that blinking light comes and they just ignore it. They just do it their own way. They do things that they want to do. And then they come to church on Sundays and it's a complete mess and a wreck for them. I've learned all too often that, that you can only hide for so long. You can only cover up and have a fake facade for so long. The real you is going to come out. Jesus told us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. He's telling us that the very things that are inside of you are going to come out. You're going to see them. That's why, that's why Solomon told us that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. If we're thinking on all of the bad things, if we're thinking on what I'm going to do, if we're thinking on only me, me as the God, I'm always going to do the sinful thing. If we're thinking on truth, thinking on godliness, we will do what is right. Man, there are so many people that label themselves as Christians, but yet they live this life, and their their life in relationship with God has grown completely cold. They don't even know how it happened. And that's the sad part. They come to church, and, and they sit in here, and they can't worship. They come to church and they can't focus during the sermon. They come to church, you can't even pray. You struggle to read your Bible at home. Maybe that's you in this place. And you're like, God, how did I even get here? The warning signs, church, Christian, believer, parent, adult, teenager. The warning signs. I've discovered something about you and me. I've discovered something about sinners and and the blinking lights that come up in our lives. You know, we're pretty good at seeing the blinking lights in hindsight, aren't we? Hindsight says, if we look back over 10 years, 10 years ago, if if we look back over five years ago, you could probably pinpoint the blinking lights that occurred in your life. You could see the times where God was saying to you, wake up, Christian. Wake up, parent. Wake up, father. Wake up, husband, wife, grandparent. Wake up, Christian. Come on. God is trying to get our attention, church. 
God is trying to get us to see we need to wake up. We need to start living for him. We might even be able to point to a time back when we were in middle school or high school where we were at a church camp and you saw a blinking light then and you didn't do anything about it. I know I can, I can go back to that time and point to something very specific. You look back and you see them. You see the blinking lights. But sometimes, though, those blinking lights are hard to see when we actually really need the warning. We're so blinded by our own want. We're so blinded by our own desire. We don't see the warnings. We just don't see them. So I'm going to challenge us to do something in this place. I want us to, to take a few moments and I want us to look at the dashboard of our lives. I want us to think about the season that we're in right now. And I want us to ask ourselves this question. Is it possible that God is trying to get our attention? Is it possible that God is calling us to change? Is it possible that he's wanting us to wake up? He wants us to do it right now so that down the road we can be saved a whole lot of heartache. I want us to just look for a few moments of, the, of some of the ways that God warns us. Some of the blinking lights that he sends our way. The first one I want us to see is that God will send you his word at just the right time. God will send you, yes, that's right, amen. God does send his word at just the right time. Think about this. Look at verse number six. God is speaking directly to Cain. And he's like, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not will, do well, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now listen, I am fully convinced in my 32 years of life that there is a supernatural power in the word of God. And when God speaks into your life at just the right moment, if we obey, we will be blessed by doing so. And I'm not talking about that we're going to have a blessed life with an abundance of money and things and worldly possessions. I'm talking about receiving the blessing of still having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a blessing that comes when we respond and, and we heed the word of God. And it comes when we so desperately need it. If we will listen. If we have ears to hear. Do you know that we're told more than 70 times in the Bible that we need to listen? We need to listen. Someone once told me that we were given two ears and one mouth so we would listen twice as much as what we would talk. Someone told me that years and years and years ago. And I find it often that, that somehow these phrases that people said to me when I was a kid that I scoffed at come back to be found somehow linked to, to Scripture. Jesus said over and over in his ministry, he who has an ear, let him hear. That's why Proverbs, Solomon even told us in, in Proverbs 1.5 that the wise man will hear and increase in understanding. The wise man will hear and increase in understanding. 
So God will send us his word at just the right time. The second one I want us to see is that God will use the words of someone else in our life. God will use the words of someone else in our life. Now here's the thing. Uh, I don't know if you know this, um, but people in your life, your, your friends, your family, the closest people to you uh, know about your blinking lights. Uh, they know about them. I, I mean, they may not know about their own blinking lights, but they sure know about your blinking lights. I was just telling somebody the other day that, um, that if you are married, your spouse is one of the greatest tools of sanctification. Uh, my spouse knows all about my blinking lights as I do hers. Um, have you ever had somebody close to you um, come up to you and they said something about, maybe not in this, this phrase, but I'm going to use it like this because I've been talking about it, um, like your check engine lights on. You ever had someone say that to you? Like you probably ought to give that a little bit of attention. You ever have someone in your life that was like, hey, I, I see this in you. And, and it's, it's, it's grown bigger. And I'm starting to get concerned. I, as a pastor, have all too often had to be that person. Like, hey, I see this. Hey, I see this. And I, and I, hate, I hate it. I hate that I have to be the only one sometimes that points it out to somebody else. But, but that's, that's what I was called to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. I was called to use the truth of God for reproof, for, for, for correction. It's good for doctrine. It's good for change. We're told that. That's what Paul told Timothy. And so as believers, we, we, are, we are to call people out on their sin. We are, we are to call people out for their sin. I can show you over and over and over in Scripture, as I was telling the, the prayer team this morning, John the Baptist stood before unbelieving hearts and said, Repent, for now is the time it has come. Christ is on his way. Peter stood at the church in Rome, and he said, Repent and be baptized. Church, as Christians, we are to be Paul to somebody else. We are to be a Timothy to somebody else. We are also to be a Barnabas, the one who encourages. That doesn't mean that you form friendships to just point out people's sin. It means that you form friendships so that you guys can grow in Christ together, so that you can be real with one another. But then you can also encourage when they're low. We are told to exhort one another as long as it's called today. And guess what, people? It is still today because Christ has not returned. Church, all too often, all too often, I, I told our Bible study on Wednesday night, all too often, we, we think that it's unloving for us to not call people out. The most loving thing that you can do is to stand flat-footed in front of another brother or sister and speak truth to them. But you want to know what the most unloving thing is? Is for you to wink or nod at somebody else's sin. That God clearly calls sin. A, a sin that could lead them straight to hell for us to wink and nod at. That's the most unloving thing that we as believers can do. And guess what? We will stand before God one day and we will give an account of everything that we did. And those people's blood will be upon our hands if we didn't speak the truth to them. That 
is the gospel. That is the word of God. Yes, Jesus came. Yes, Jesus is a loving God. Yes, there is grace that is, is actively involved. We are saved by grace through faith. But guess what? You can't take God's grace without God's justice. It doesn't happen that way. Not from the Bible that I read. Not from the Bible that I study. Not from the Bible that I give my entire life to. But how often in our lives has someone pointed out a blinking light and we, we become naturally defensive? Naturally, we want to say, hey, well, look at your own dashboard, pal. How often? It's the natural tendency of the sinner to become defensive. We quickly want to deny the voice of God in our lives. But guess what? Proverbs 26 tells us that the wounds of a friend can be trusted. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. Maybe you have a friend that says, I don't want to overstep here, but it seems to me this has become more and more of a problem. Look, I don't want to be awkward, but I feel like I need to talk to you. Maybe it's been a pastor. Maybe it's been a parent or a neighbor, a coworker. Maybe they've come and they've said something to you. And we're called to have ears that will hear so that we realize that it's not truly them speaking, but it's God speaking through them. Maybe, just maybe, the thing that you're most defensive of is really the thing that you need to pay the most attention to. Proverbs 1.5, I said that, that a wise man will hear and increase in understanding. Solomon went on to say that a man of understanding will always seek wise counsel. Right after that, the wise man will increase in understanding after he's heard. And then that wise man will seek wise counsel. So God's word comes to us. God sends somebody to us. The next one is the example of others who went in seasons before us. You know, interestingly enough... If you study out the life of Cain in Scripture, you will find that his name is mentioned several other times in the Bible. Now, whenever Cain's name is mentioned, it is always used, though, as a bad example. Always, every time. The, the, the picture of Cain, he becomes the blinking light for the New Testament church. The, the New Testament writers always point to Cain and they say to the rest of us, Look, be careful, do not be like Cain. Cain was, was leading this way, and this is exactly what will happen to you. Now, I want to give you two examples of this. John chapter 3 says, Be not like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And then Jude, the whole entire book about those who are false prophets, those who walk away from God, they denounce Christianity it says, woe to them that have taken the way of Cain, the, the way that leads to destruction. So scripture points to Cain, and we have other examples as well. People who we know are examples to us, that if we happen to walk down that same path, we know exactly what's going to happen. You know, there, there's something about seeing somebody else experience the consequences of their decisions that we are now making. 
There's something powerful and impactful about it. We see that they made the same decisions, and now we see what's happened to them as a consequence because of it. It's an opportunity for God to get our attention as believers. Um, probably about five years ago, I went on a missions trip, and we had a, a, a young girl uh, with us. I want to say she was in eighth grade at the time, and we went to this, this place that was very, 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 very poor. Um, it, they had dirt roads. They, they slept in huts with dirt floors. Um, and everywhere that you went, um, there were just dogs and cats and pigs just wandering the streets everywhere. Now, I'm not talking about jungle animals here, but I'm talking about undomesticated dogs and cats and, and, and pigs livestock and this girl wanted so bad to touch them she wanted to play with every single dog and cat and pig that came by she wanted to feed it she wanted to take it back to the the compound where we were staying every single time we saw one and we had to keep getting after her listen do not touch those animals they're 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 undomesticated there are so many people that have been attacked by these animals just don't mess with it and she kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going and so I, I went to our, um, our missionary and I said, hey, listen, I have a question for you. Um, can you pull up on your internet um, news stories of people who have been attacked by these animals here in this community? Now, I wasn't doing it to, to be gruesome about it, but I wanted this girl to watch these videos about, about people and, and teenagers and children that were attacked by these animals. Why? Because if we step back and we look at different areas of our life, we can allow other people to be the blinking lights. We can allow people to be the warning for us. God will speak to us, but sometimes he will warn us through the life experiences of somebody else. The, the, the last blinking light, though, the experiences of somebody else, the words of somebody else, God's word itself. But the last one is probably one of the most important ones. And it's the supernatural leading of God. The supernatural leading of God. So I'm going to ask of you to take just a moment and do exactly what we've been talking about. I want us to, to look at some of the blinking lights that may, may be on the dashboard of our lives. So if you would, I'm going to ask of you to please bow your heads, to close your eyes, to be in an attitude of prayer for just a few moments. I want each one of you to, to visualize with me that you're driving a vehicle. It needs to be um, a vehicle with quite a few seats. So an SUV would work. Or if you're a real man, make it a minivan. I want you to look around with me for just a moment in your car. Think, who's in that car with you? Maybe family. Maybe people you would expect to be with you. But likely there are, there are people crammed into the back seat of your car. Your, your life affects more people than you truly know. Now, as you're driving with that car full of people, I want you to pay attention to the, the signs that may be showing up, the, the warning signs. 
Maybe one of the warning signs that's coming up in, in your drive is a sign that says slow down. One of the biggest reasons that we miss God's voice in our life is because we are going too fast. I didn't even see the light. Well, guess what? Slow down. Hit the brakes a little bit. Slow down a little bit more now. Now I want you to keep looking in that vehicle. Are you going so fast that, that the people that are in that vehicle with you are getting no priority in your life, no attention from you? Maybe it's your spiritual life. Maybe you've had good intentions, but you've been so busy with other things, and, and now your, your spiritual life is suffering. Maybe you've grown cold and distant to the things of God, and you need to give some attention to this, but it's not going to happen at the pace that you're going. Maybe there's a sign that's been put up along your road where you're driving, and it's the warning sign that says, sharp turn ahead. God's trying to get your attention, believer. Maybe things are going in a certain direction, and he wants you to be aware I mean, you've got a sharp turn that's coming, and if you don't make a decision now about who you are and what you believe, you're going to fly right off of the road. Maybe there's a warning sign that, that, that says kids at play. And if you're not careful, you're going to seriously hurt one of them. Hurt them with your words. Hurt them with your example. Or maybe, just maybe, the sign is a little bit more dramatic than those. And it's a railroad crossing. And the lights are flashing. And God is trying to get your attention because you've been hiding some sin that's in your life. You're hiding some struggle. You're afraid that somebody will find out about them, but you don't realize that they're quickly leading to your destruction. So the signs are flashing at us. I mean... It's crouching at our door. And the lust that you think you somehow control that's created a spark. And then that spark is about ready to become a fire that's going to burn down your home. Or maybe it's spiritual apathy or hypocrisy. And the light is flashing and God's saying, wake up, Christian, wake up. Now is the time. Sin is at your door. But there's one sign I want every single one of you to picture no matter where you are on this road. One, one sign that is always held up. No matter how far you think you are or how many wrecks may be in your life, there is always one sign that's being held up and it's being held up by Jesus and it's a U-turn sign. Jesus says, look, Today is the day. Now is the time. It doesn't have to be this way. God would say to you what he said to Cain. It's not too late, Cain. You can still do the right thing. If you do well, you, you will be accepted. The reason it's not too late is because Jesus has already paid your price. He died on the cross for your sins. And so he specializes in coming onto the scene of wrecks and putting the pieces back together if you'll just turn things over to him. So there's this light that's flashing on your dashboard. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to put it off? Are you going to cover it up with black electrical tape? 
Or today, will you listen to God's loving voice in your life warning you to take action? God, we come to you in this place and we, we ask of you, Lord, to continue to reveal the blinking lights, to ascend us your word. Send us people to be used in our lives that, that would spur us on to a greater depth of knowledge and understanding and relationship with you. God, send us the signs. God, if you're calling us to be changed people, then God, start right here with me. God, I, I want to be able to be changed first. Let me continue to set the example. Give me the strength to endure. Give me the grace to endure. And God, let that overflow out to the rest of the believers here as we lock arms together for the gospel's sake here in Ionia. God, give us strength, give us courage, give us boldness to speak. God, give us grace and mercy. Help us to be loving and kind and patient. God, there are so many that are hurting. There are so many that have lost track of the warning signs. There are so many that are so far and distant from you. God, help us to be the example so that they want to be back in a right standing relationship with you. God, the time is near. I can feel it, God. Your word is pointing in a direction that we must be ready. So God, help us to remain focused. Help us to keep the main things the main things. Help us not to get sidetracked. Help us not to lose focus. Help us to, to keep in step and in time with you. And I ask and pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.